Welcome to another episode of Healthy, Wealthy, and Smart. I am your host, Karen Litzy, coming to you live from New York City, right here on TalkingAlternative.com. And again, if you missed any of my shows, you can catch all of them, including a great show last week with some uh, great physical therapist, uh, Leela Body and Marianne Ryan. And you can see all of those shows on iTunes under Healthy, Wealthy, and Smart. It's in the podcast section, and it's free, so feel free to go, and you can listen to all of the past 97 shows. This is number 98. So uh, as a lot of you know, we do a lot of shows on uh, the topic of physical therapy, and a lot of them are a lot of content filled for the practitioner. And today I'm very happy to have on the show the president of the American Physical Therapy Association, Dr. Paul Rocker, Jr. And he has been the president of the American Physical Therapy Association, or the APTA, since June of 2012. And he is the chief executive officer and partner of UPMC Centers for Rehab Services, one of the nation's largest networks of community-based comprehensive outpatient rehabilitation services. And... In addition to having extensive experience as a rehab scientist, Rocker is the author or co-author of numerous articles and chapters for textbooks and has served as an adjunct assistant professor at Slippery Rock University, Duquesne University, and Pitt. And Rocker is the recipient of many awards, including the Carlin Michaels Achievement Award of the Pennsylvania Physical Therapy Association. He is involved with the School of Health and Rehab Science Alumni Society, of which he is past president, And with his wife, Judy, is the benefactor of a variety of University of Pittsburgh programs, Mm -hmm. including the Paul and Judy Rocker Endowed Scholarship Fund, which they both established. So, Dr. Rocker, thank you for coming on, and welcome to the show. Thank you, Karen. Thanks for having me, and thanks for that nice introduction. Sure, sure. So um, we have a lot of of stuff to cover today, Um, and I have some questions from some APTA members, one of which is a former student of yours. but let's start out the discussion with, with, and I think a lot of like my past shows and, and a lot of what I get from APTA members on social media is, you know, where, how does f- the physical therapy profession sort of fit in and integrate with the ever-changing healthcare platform here in the U.S.? And uh, one of those sort of looking at talking about a platform of healthcare is the triple aim of healthcare and how does physical therapy fit into the goals of the triple aim. So first off, what I'll have you do if you don't mind is just kind of explain to the listeners what that triple aim of healthcare actually is. Sure, the triple aim was developed by Donald Berwick back in the Institute of Healthcare Improvement and it's really got three objectives. One's improving the experience of care second, improving the health of the different populations across the country, and three, reducing the per capita cost of health care. And that triple aim really served as the framework for the Affordable Care Act that we are now seeing implemented uh, both in the past years and more so this year as well as in the 2014. Mm -hmm. So that triple aim pretty much has set the stage for all of us as professionals across the health care system need to keep in mind when we're looking at both our models of practice, the way we're handling our patients, and managing them from a day-to-day standpoint, as well as what we can do to overall meet the needs of society and healthcare. Mm-hmm. And which you know that sounds great, and it's it's obviously in, in an ideal 
world, like that is it's a great uh, aim to have. But now, how? What is sort of the concept design on how to achieve that? You know, I know there's focus on individuals, perhaps redesigning primary care services, population health management, cost controls, system integration and execution. So. How does physical therapy fit into that? Where, you know, where could we serve, where could we best be served in that platform? I think one of the ways we can serve is that we do have a role as an entry point into mm-hmm. the healthcare system. Right. We have a number of uh, jurisdictions across the country, 47 or more plus the District of Columbia, where we can be an entry point into the healthcare system. Mm-hmm. So we're really qualified to provide a broad range of services uh, in valuation in nature, including screening, uh, examination coming up with a value an evaluation and a specific diagnosis from a physical therapy standpoint, and then coordinating the care and setting prognosis for that patient, and going ahead and working with other providers in a collaborative nature so that person's condition is being managed uh, to the best of everybody's ability. And mm-hmm. I think that if I had to look at what we're dealing with both in my day-to-day job as well as an association profession, uh, the words that come to mind quite often are both being innovative as well as collaborative. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I really think that we do have a role there that with the increased need that we have for patients to access the system, you'll hear varying numbers, anywhere from 30 to 42 more million people will have access to care through health care coverage. Mm-hmm. And as a part of that, we all know that if you look at some of the statistics, significant lack in the number of primary care physicians that will be available over the next uh, several years. Mm-hmm. So I think that we, uh, similar to some other professions out there, have an access point that we can serve uh, a vital role in managing these people with some of the basic conditions they encounter on a day-to-day basis. Right. And that's, you know, just for people who are listening who may not know, here in the United States, like you said, in about 47 states and the District of Columbia, physical therapists um, have direct access, meaning that you do not need to go to your doctor for a referral for physical therapy. Um, But the question then becomes is, and, and I don't know if you know the answer to this or not, is, in, in some areas, and I know certainly here in, in New York State, that a lot of time insurance companies won't cover you if you don't have the doctor's prescription, even though we have direct access here in New York, in New York State. So, you know, do you have any insight into that, or is the APTA working on that, or is there, because it's, it's kind of like a double-edged sword, you know? Yes, it can serve as a double-edged sword. We're seeing various uh, capabilities with regard to payment for direct access across the country. Mm-hmm. For example, here in western Pennsylvania, where I happen to reside and where my practice is, uh, that's not a significant issue for us. Mm-hmm. We'll be able to see people and have them come in from a direct access mode and then subsequently bill the insurance company and get reimbursed. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would go back to um, the earlier point that I had made that even if we, the uh, health insurance will not cover the collaborative nature of our efforts with other healthcare professionals are going to be critical. So if I would evaluate a patient and then find that they had physical therapy needs, discuss with that patient the possible need for a referral to go ahead and cover payment, or mm-hmm. they can continue uh, uh, paying on their own, that I would encourage physical therapists to do that and work, and work with both primary care physicians as well as those payers to show the value and the set cost savings they can have by accessing us directly. Right. Yeah, and, and you know, I, I agree 100%. And, you know, we, a couple of weeks ago, I sort of had this discussion with another physical therapist, Erica Mello, and she brought up the, the word that you just brought up as well, and that's value. 
And I think, you know, even looking at this sort of triple aim of, of health care, I think what, what do you feel is the best way we as physical therapists can really assert our value into that triple aim of care? Well, I think there are resources that we have, and the literature has shown that we have a valuable role in saving costs, and, mm-hmm. and that's one way we can show value. For example, um, there was a study published in September of 2012 in Health Services Research that actually found that patients who visit a physical therapist directly for outpatient care uh, actually had fewer visits and lower overall costs on the average compared to those that were referred to those services by a physical therapist. And this was a retrospective review of insurance coverage. Mm-hmm. So we're pretty confident that those type of value studies uh, can be shown to different payers as well as the healthcare system in general to show that we have a role and that we can lower costs. Mm-hmm. The other area that we're really seeing some uh, significant growth and it's been an initiative that is undertaken by us to show people innovative models that are out there, is that we have many physical therapists stepping forward and working with industry mm-hmm. to show that if you go ahead and access a physical therapist early on, for example, after a workman's comp injury, mm-hmm. be a physical, physical therapist early on, have an evaluation and management by that physical therapist that the overall loss of time at work as well as the overall cost of the case significantly reduced. Uh, We're seeing this in Provident Health out in uh, the West Coast, and we're seeing it in other areas of the country as well. So those type of models we feel should be modeled uh, by other physical therapists Mm -hmm. across the country. And we're actually, as an association, having an early March uh, summit called the Innovation Summit, where we're bringing in many from across the therapy world, mm-hmm. as well as the rest of the healthcare system, to see how these collaborative models and innovative models are both saving costs and improving the experience of care. Yeah, you know, when I was at the APTA conference in Chicago last uh, 2012, right? Um, the combined sections meeting, I went to one of the talks given by Corey Blickenstaff and I believe another, uh, two other physical therapists, and they were talking about sort of physical therapy in the workplace and kind of being that sort of person on site. And and also uh, as a physical therapist to develop sort of wellness programs within companies that, like you said, really help to decrease time away from work and and things like that. So would that be, you know, something that you will perhaps take a look at at as far as, you know, more innovative use of physical therapy? Yes. Uh, the Board of Directors Association has seen, and this is included in our strategic plan, that prevention and wellness is a role mm-hmm. that the physical therapist should be playing. Uh, we actually have been given direction by our House of Delegates to go mm-hmm. ahead and look at this. So we have formed a task force pulling in experts from across the field to better illustrate to the board of directors what direction we need to go mm-hmm. to make people aware of what role we really do play in prevention and wellness. As I'm sure you see, as we see in our day-to-day practices, many people begin a wellness program, start exercising here after the first of the year. Of course. That, that have high value from seeing a physical therapist as they often just get into a program without having core muscle strength as well as length of their various muscle structures 
evaluated, and then they get into an injury mode and get a setback, and then they get discouraged, where we think that if early on we're able to screen those people, mm-hmm. help establish their program, and then monitor them to go along, they would have much more success, and we, our role would be really noted. Right, and, and I agree 100%. You know, I always feel like if, if you're a person who's never really exercised or maybe you haven't exercised in years and you go to start a program, wouldn't you be better served going to a physical therapist first versus going, not, and not to say anything against trainers because there are some trainers that are fabulous, but, you know, we are sort of the go-to musculoskeletal experts. So I feel like any person would be better served to go to a physical therapist first versus go to the, their trainer at their gym. And I think the problem, at least what I see here, especially in New York, is is that people go to see physical therapists only when they're in pain. And we don't sort of have that, uh, I guess, that visibility of being people to go to to help with an exercise program or something like that. And so I guess the, the question then becomes is how do we change that view? I really go back to what a past colleague, uh, Steve Rose from Washington University, proposed to all uh-huh. of us as professionals as a challenge several several years ago. Uh, unfortunately, Steve is no longer with us, but his mantra, so to speak, is still mm-hmm. out there with us. We really need to convince the public and the consumer that they need a physical therapist for life. Yeah. In other words, you see me uh, maybe on a yearly basis of not having any acute problems, but at the same time, I'm evaluated by a physical therapist and screen from major movement dysfunction mm-hmm. that could affect and lead to an eventual more disabling pro- problem in the future, and I'm given an exercise program or advice at that point in time, and I go ahead and, quote-unquote, get tuned up, so to speak, mm-hmm. so I avoid these longer-term problems. Right. And I really think that we have, uh, as a profession, a great initiative ahead of us to convince people that we do need to see everyone on a routine basis. Yeah, and, and, and you know, I, I 100% agree with that, and then kind of getting back to what you said earlier about collaboration with other, uh, it could be collaboration with other fitness professionals as well. So they may, you may have someone that comes to see you to kind of jumpstart their program. And let's say they go on to take yoga or Pilates. I mean, it's good to kind of forge those relationships with different fitness professionals as well. And, and to be able to work collaboratively with them. At least I think so. That's what I do here. Yes. I, I would agree with you, and I think as a profession, we have, over the years, promoted to all of our peers as well as others in the healthcare system that we are looking for some autonomy as a healthcare professional. Mm-hmm. And in our mind, the autonomy really means when it comes to a physical therapy diagnosis and intervention or plan of care that the physical therapist is the one that knows that area the best. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, that does not not preclude us from being so, quote-unquote, autonomous mm-hmm. that we don't interact and collaborate with others. And I would right. agree with you 100% that we can form teams of managing mm-hmm. people mm-hmm. where we have a significant role and uh, inter-referral relationship between others where we can go ahead and promote the overall health of uh, that individual. Yeah, and, and on that note, I agree. And on that note, we're going to take a quick break for these commercials. And when we come back, we're going to just sort of continue our discussion on how physical therapists can sort of fit into today's healthcare model. So everybody stay tuned. Talking Alternative Radio, 24 hours a day. Are you confused about which diet is right for you? Are you tired of being tired? 
How about improving your energy, strength, and appearance? Hi, I'm Rika Keck, a holistic nutrition and wellness consultant. If you have answered yes to any of my questions, contact me now at nyintegratedhealth.com or at 646-285-8588. Initiate change and transform your life. Are you concerned about the future of your business or career? Would you like it all to just be better? Well, the way to do that is through better communication. And the best way to do that is training from the team at Improving Communications. This is Larry Sharp, host of the Ivory Tower Radio Program and director at Improving Communications. Does your office need better leadership, customer service, sales, or maybe better writing or speaking skills? Could they be better at dealing with confrontation, conflicts, and touchy subjects? All are covered here at Improving Communications. If you're in the New York City area, stop by one of our public classes or get your human resources in touch with us. The website is improvingcommunications.com. That's improvingcommunications.com. Improve your professional environment. Be more effective. Be happier and make more money. Improving communications. That's the answer. Hey, all you crazy listeners. Looking to boost your business? Why not advertise on Talking Alternative with very reasonable rates? Interested? Simply email at info at talkingalternative.com. Welcome back to Healthy, Wealthy, and Smart. I am your host, Karen Litzy, and I'm joined today by Dr. Paul Rocker. He is the president of the American Physical Therapy Association, or the APTA. And last segment, we were sort of talking about the triple aim of healthcare, which is improving the patient experience of care, improving the health of populations, reducing the per capita cost of healthcare, and how we as a physical therapy profession can kind of fit into that model. So now, I, what I'd also like to talk about, Dr. Rocker, is, you know, we talked a little bit about the Affordable Care Act, which is Obamacare. So how does Obamacare affect the profession of physical therapy? I mean, I was looking over some of the points of, of the bill yesterday, which are actually on the APTA website, which is APTA.org. Um, they actually have some of the main points of the... Uh, Affordable Care Act on there. But how, in, in a very practical, in-the-clinic way, how does Obamacare affect the physical therapy profession? Well, I think one of the ways is, is uh, go back to one of my earlier points about how we're going to be asked more and more to go ahead and collaborate and look at new innovative models of care. Many of us have worked in environments where we pretty much have run our business and seen our patients and have had limited interaction with others other than whether it be a referral from a physician or with uh, other patients that have referred others on to us. One of the areas where I think it's going to significantly impact it, and I'll mention two right off the bat, mm-hmm. but the first one is how we're going to have to collaborate as a team with other healthcare professionals, both to increase the efficiency of care as well as lower the cost of care. And I think that physical therapists can have a significant role here. We're seeing in our area where they are realizing, meaning the health care payers, mm-hmm. that there's so the insurance companies. The insurance companies. So there's a significant amount of cost 
uh, and high-priced tests such as MRIs sure. for low back pain. Sure. Uh, there are referrals to some specialist surgeons early on when perhaps surgery could be avoided, which incurs a cost as well as perhaps some additional testing. Mm-hmm. So there are some payers that are looking at a good course of conservative care uh, and that being managed appropriately. And if it subsequently fails, then these more expensive tests as well as surgery may be perhaps indicated. So if the outcome of the surgery and the need of the test isn't warranted because conservative care can be successful, then I think that we have a significant role, especially in the management of some of these musculoskeletal conditions, such as low back pain. Sure. Oh, absolutely. So, for example, that if I would go ahead and see a low back pain patient and manage that person conservatively, they might never need that MRI or may Mm -hmm. not need that surgery. Then Mm -hmm. we can help them manage that problem throughout their lifespan. I think that... um, One of the things that we need to understand is that we have responsibility for lowering that cost, just like everyone else. Mm -hmm. The the second area where it's going to have some effect, and it's many of what our colleagues are experiencing right now, are the challenges with not only the uh, ACA and its effect on the healthcare system, but also the fiscal cliff that we see out there. Mm -hmm. Uh, Significant cutbacks in Medicare uh, benefits, for example, there's a now a $1,900 lower cap as well right. as a $3,700 upper cap that requires right. a manual review. Uh, I'm hearing more and more from members, and I have to agree with them how many seniors really understand what's happening to that benefit. Yeah, I, I don't think many understand at all. Right. And we really, we really are looking at that as a board of directors, how we can better communicate that message, not only to our members that need to, need to go ahead and voice to the legislators what significant impact that can have on patient care, but also in the realistic aspect of it is us functioning every day as professionals as well mm-hmm. and maintaining our practice and maintaining our business. So there's a lot of work to be done there. So it's essentially giving the, the care in the most effective and efficient manner and, and cost-effective manner mm-hmm. as well. And I think... The other thing that's out there for us as physical therapists when I refer to that conservative care, there's a challenge for us. That means we have to be giving the best care to the right person at the right person at the right point in time. Mm -hmm. So we are really striving in the APTA to go ahead and make sure that our members have tools at their hand, that they're giving the best evidence-based care that they can to individuals. Varying forms of evidence, not just randomized controlled clinical trials, but there are others that also have significant role in evidence, such as case studies and others that show mm-hmm. that there are procedures and practices that do meet with success, and how do we integrate those into our practice? So we're really challenged to make sure we're doing the right thing at the right time. Right, and you know, getting back to the the Medicare cap, I think there is there legislature or a bill right now put forth by the PT PAC. We have, we have had uh, legislation in the Congress in the past yeah. several years. Yeah. We've had over 200 sponsors for that bill in the past. We're looking at that right now and a possible reintroduction, reintroduction in this new Congress. Mm-hmm. That sponsorship has been widely accepted by legislators, as I said, with over 200 people in that bill. Yeah. The main stumbling block for us is come down to that to repeal the therapy cap. It would cost $10 billion money. Yeah. over 10 years. And we constantly get asked the question, where's the money come from? Mm-hmm. So whether it be us or the consumer, quote-unquote, banging that drum, mm-hmm. Congress has got the same question, where's the money going to come from? Mm-hmm. And at the same time, working with us for other alternatives, perhaps in the way we get paid, that is a better way than having to worry about the cap. Right, right. Yeah, I remember a couple of years ago, I was in Washington, D.C., I think it was three years ago, and that to, to lobby for the APTA, and that was one of the bills on the 
on the ticket. And I didn't come across one legislature. Granted, I went to to all New York legislatures who said, oh, no, that's I, I refuse to have any part of that bill. Right. You know, like they want to have part of the bill. The the problem is, is that, you know, they love bills that are budget neutral. Correct. You know, and I think one of the struggles that we're having right now is essentially as we go through this calendar year, if there's a move to go ahead and go in the direction of either reducing or or repealing the cap, mm-hmm. that we'll have uh, some money to find, so to speak, right. as to how it's going to get paid for. I um, that, that, So that's been one of our major challenges. But I think it's the overwhelming support of it has been expressed by the extension of what some of the consumers out there may not understand is an exceptions process, mm-hmm. that when we as a physical therapist would see a patient that requires care, they go over the cap and we need to continue care, that there's an exceptions process where we, as long as we document uh, medical necessity, mm-hmm. as well as indicate on our billing form that this is person that fits that category, we can go ahead and keep to provide the care. Right. But again, we have seen Congress say that there needs to be an upper limit to that where we take a more stringent review and a manual medical review, which admittedly has been fraught with problems and we've been fighting yeah. hong- hard with different people in Congress to say, look, it's not the best process. How can we make it better? Our clinicians are really struggling with it. They should be worrying about providing care to patients and not how to submit documentation and not how to submit a bill right. as care for their patients. No, I, I agree. I mean, the documentation is a bit of a nightmare. Um, but I guess the, the and kind of continuing along along that is, you know, what about these patients who are have more progressive diseases, you know, like your Parkinson's and your MS and, and someone post-stroke, let's say? who, you know, they may not, I think the hard part, again, is you can document that, yes, this person is not getting any worse, but they're not making sort of leaps and bounds that one would make after getting a total knee replacement because they have this progressive disease. Mm-hmm. So, you know, what what do you suggest, even as far as, as documentation and being able to extend that cap on patients like that? I'm really glad that you brought up that topic because it's a uh, area of confusion right now, especially mm-hmm. with consumers. And as a matter of fact, internally here, I just uh, polished off an email to a physician asking a very similar question. Uh, back in the fall, in October, the Department of Health and Human, Resor- Health and Human Services mm-hmm. reached an agreement and a settlement in a case that was called Jimmo versus Sibelius. Mm-hmm. And in that case, these individuals were suing that department saying, just because I have a progressive illness where I not show improvement, that should not restrict me from receiving my services. Mm-hmm. That final settlement was just decided upon in January. Probably uh, many of you in New York are familiar with it. I think in early February, hit a New York Times blog with some, uh, uh, some statements that essentially, look, these individuals can now receive care. As a part of that settlement, all of us as physical therapists are to receive from the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services direction on how to handle those individuals, mm-hmm. i.e., go ahead and show how the documentation is showing that we're preventing them from getting worse, mm-hmm. and that the ultimate settlement said you cannot use improvement alone as the decision to go ahead and, and continue care. Right. So I think it's an emphasis for those out there that are non-clinical who can see the dilemma that we're in mm-hmm. as physical therapists. We have a cap where we have to show medical necessity. Then if we get to a higher cap, we have to have manual medical review. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, by July 1, we need to put in 
quote unquote, a G code that shows that somebody is making functional improvement. Mm. But at the same time, we have the results of a lawsuit that says improvement shouldn't help us determine if someone needs more care. Right. So we're anxious for CMS to come out with some direction so the patients that are out there with these progressive diseases, as well as all of us as clinicians that know we have something to offer them, know how to manage their case from a financial standpoint to help mm-hmm. them out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Great, great. Thank you for thank you for that answer. Um, we're going to take and on that we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, um, I'd like to get through one of the questions from. I'll sort of give you the question now. One of the questions actually from a former student of yours, Joe Joseph Brents, and his question was: um, He would love to hear your opinion about the recent influx in literature to support the importance of pain science and what the APTA is doing to ensure that this information is incorporated into the PT education system. So I'll have you think about that. Uh, and when we come back, we'll get the answer to that. So everybody stay tuned. You are listening to the Talking Alternative Network. Are you suffering from aches and pains? Has traditional medicine let you down? Are you tired of taking toxic medications? Then come to the Double Diamond Wellness Center and learn how our natural methods can help you to heal. Call us now at 212-721-8183. That's 212-721-8183. Or find us on the web at www.doublediamondwellness.com. We look forward to serving you. Hi, I'm Austin Marola. And I'm Sloan Wainwright. We're the hosts of the new Thursday morning show, The Music Power Power Hour, Hour. at 11 a.m. We're going to have fun. And shine the light on all aspects of music. And it's limitless healing possibilities. We're going to invite artists to share their songs and play live. We'll be listening and talking about great music from yesterday to today. So you're invited to share in our musical conversation. Your ears will be delighted with the sound of music. And our voices. Join Austin and Sloan live Thursdays at 11 a.m. on TalkingAlternative.com. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network. Welcome back to Healthy, Wealthy, and Smart. I am your host, Karen Litzy, and I am joined today by Dr. Paul Rocker. He is the president of the American Physical Therapy Association, or the APTA. Okay, so Dr. Rocker, before the break, I sort of gave you uh, a question from Joe Brents, a physical therapist, member of the APTA, and former student of yours. 
And again, his question is, he would like to hear your opinion about the recent influx in literature to support the importance of pain science and what the APTA is doing to ensure that this information is incorporated into the PT education system. And of course, because pain is the number one reason why people seek out a physical therapist. So uh, I will give you the floor. I I would think that uh, Joe Brents is referring to some of the recent literature we've seen over the last several years, as well as the use of techniques such as dry needling by physical therapists as a pain control technique in their practice. Uh, We have an active practice department, as well as a research department and a state government affairs department that can collaborate together as a issue team Mm -hmm. and go ahead and produce information, kind of the state of the art, where this method of and scope of practice is with regard to physical therapy and how it fits in. Mm-hmm. So there are a number of issues that come into play with an issue such as that. One, uh, as you are well aware, and consumers may not be, though, that we are really pretty much driven by our own practice act in each of our different districts across the country. Mm-hmm. So in Pennsylvania, my practice act may look very different than yours in New York State. Right. Some of those states allow that to be uh, practiced by a physical therapist within their scope. Others are going ahead and saying, uh, no, they cannot, but at the same time are open from a legislative standpoint to make a change. That state government affairs department is working very closely with those states, including those that are looking at that and saying, we want to include it. How do we go ahead and have the language that shows that a physical therapist will appropriately use that piece of science within their practice? Mm -hmm. And at the same time, we provide information as to where we are at from a background standpoint, where it's at in practice with regard to research. Mm-hmm. I think the other issue that comes into play, and I think where Joe's question is going, is the direct influence of APTA and making sure it's in an educational program. Right, like through CAPTI. Is there any, does the APTA have any influence over that? It's a very active discussion right now, and uh-huh. to give the listeners some background. CAPTI, the Commission on Accreditation for Physical Therapist Education, is housed within APTA but, is, but functions as a separate, separate agency that is responsible for accrediting educational programs across the country in both mm-hmm. physical therapist and physical therapist assistant education. Uh, although a part of APTA, they develop their own criteria as well as their evaluation criteria when they go out to see if a school is in compliance with those criteria on their own, and we maintain from an APTA standpoint an arm-length distinction between what Mm -hmm. APTA says about that as well as what CAPTI says about it. Interestingly, a very current philosophical discussion is that arm's length long enough or not. Some feel that that separation should even be greater versus than what it is right now, mm-hmm. and that is an ongoing philosophical debate, mm-hmm. as I said, among our among our, the di- different professionals from both a PT and a PTA standpoint. Mm-hmm. So essentially the evaluative criteria and what is out there from a standpoint of what should be included is CAPTI decides upon that. Gotcha. The, other, the other issue that comes into play uh, is what is ultimately on the licensure exam that each state has their um, potential licensees take, which is formulated by the Federation of State Boards of Physical Therapy. And is that state-by-state state dependent as well, or does it, everyone kind of get the same exam? Every pretty much gets the state exam uh-huh. with security reasons, obviously, with questions rotating through course, and, right. and following through. But they have an, an entire psychometric team as well as individuals that write questions for the exam. The point regarding that um, method that I like to speak to is is that about every five years they do a scope of practice analysis where physical therapists across the country can respond to a series of questions indicating 
what are they seeing within the scope of practice of a physical therapist as mm-hmm. well as physical therapist assistant performing various interventions. And that is often the model then that some an agency such as CAPD will look at and say, here's current uh, contemporary practice. Mm-hmm. What is more contemporary in nature and needs to be included versus some of the things that have gone by the wayside where they are now less important. Gotcha. So it could be that... You know, the survey by practicing physical therapists can then influence the testing, which can influence CAPD, which could influence what's going on in schools. Correct. So it's sort of a a backwards route back to the school. And I think, you know, talking about sort of pain pain science and things like that is probably, I think Joe is kind of, you know, as you probably know, the re, like Mosley and, and, and Hodges and Butler and, and that sort of, their sort of research on, on uh, uh, neuroscience uh, as, as it relates to pain. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I, cause I know, I mean, I went to school quite a long time ago. Um, so this research, you know, I think David Butler says they've learned more in the past 10 or 12 years on pain than they have in the thousand years before. So this wasn't even an option probably when I was in school. And, and I don't know as to across the country and to all schools as to what they're, what they're teaching and if the work of, of Butler and, and Mosley are sort of required within the school setting. I understand, and I can't speak to specific programs. Yeah, yeah, and I can't speak to specific programs either. And and one of the things that we're looking at from a board of directors standpoint, Mm -hmm. as uh, we've seen interest across their membership, is we're taking a look at the entire scope of practice. We've seen how other countries do it. We Mm -hmm. had an excellent presentation by the Canadian Physiotherapy Mm. Executive Director on how they include things in the scope of practice within their different provinces in in that um, country. And we have pulled together, we're pulling together a task force right now to look at scope of practice issues, what's with, uh, how does something become a part of the scope of practice, mm-hmm. as well as what methods we may need to do that to best ensure the safety and of the public, as well as something that's got the science behind what we do. Right, right. So that's an ongoing project right now. Okay, great. And then the other, well, actually, the other question that, that Joe had, I'll just mention, but I think we already covered this, was um, what the APTA is doing to promote PT first or us being the first access point for people with musculoskeletal pain, which I think we've, I think we've covered that. Um, and and it's, I guess as a side note about, you know, having PT first and kind of how we were talking about having people come to physical therapists when they're not in pain. You know, which is something that I think almost everyone can certainly benefit from. But I I had interviewed Linda Joy Lee and uh, Diane Lee in January, and they were both tapped to go out to England to uh, do screenings for one of the major league soccer teams. And as a result of their screenings, this team had the fewest injuries in the league. I think it was literally like two injuries. And they won their league. So, you know, we were kind of saying that what a value stamp mm-hmm. that is for physical therapists. And, you know, wouldn't it be great if if professional teams here in the U.S. said, you know, instead of going to our strength and conditioning coach, not saying there's anything wrong with the strength and conditioning coach because most of them are fabulous. But wouldn't it be nice to also include the physical therapist in that collaborative team? I would agree, and I would uh, enhance your definition of team, not just professional sports, 
but think about your entire work team where you might mm-hmm. be employed. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you work in a hospital, for example, you see patient do- people doing patient handling techniques sure. all the time. Sure. Uh, and then uh, we all have some improvement in fitness we probably need at some point in time in our life. And you look at some individuals and say, are they an accident waiting to happen because they don't have the core muscle strength, yes. the upper and lower extremity muscle strength to be doing that patient handling? If we would screen them, give them advice, and put them on a very simple, straightforward exercise program, mm-hmm. maybe we avoid that costly workman's comp injury. Sure. So sure. I think there are avenues like that where we can have value. And part of our struggle is showing that downstream savings, mm-hmm. which where much of our health services research is headed right now. Oh, good, good. Yeah, and I think that... You know, to go into a business or to go into a corporation um, and and perhaps sort of say what you can do, I think you're right. They don't see sort of the long-term benefits or that sort of trickle-down effect of what they can save by by their employees being taught proper ways to move. Mm-hmm. You know, or being able to single out, like you said, maybe they don't have the core strength or the flexibility or what have you, but... You know, I, I feel like I think that is is a great sort of future for for physical therapy is to be on more of the preventative and wellness side yeah, versus to be pro- just the and avoiding the injury versus managing it after it happens. That's right. That's right. And and perhaps having you know physical therapy because you know I read all these different blogs and and all these. <clears throat> stuff on the web and and they have you know the the number one person that people go to with their health and wellness tips is like the trainer from the biggest loser mm-hmm. and you're like you know nothing against a trainer from the biggest loser but w- when you look at their background it doesn't compare to physical therapists as far as an education and research background and the fact that you know with the the APTA's vision 2020 of of having physical therapists at the doctorate level you know, I feel like that's where it that that answer should be a physical therapist, in I my agree. opinion. You I know, agree. and and so I think the question then becomes is how do we move into that role? And and I think it's multidimensional. You know, and I don't really know the answer to it, but I think a lot of what you said today is are certainly steps in the right direction. Thank you. Um, okay, and on that, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, um, I have a question for you. I'll give you the question uh, now, but from Jason Silvernail, who's a physical therapist, and he's also um, a member of our U.S. Army and is in Afghanistan as we speak, I believe. Um, but his question is, um, he'd be interested in your opinion on the residency push at the APTA, Um to do, I guess, residency fellowships and things like that, and and the reason why, the reason behind that. So um, when we come back, we'll talk about that. So everybody stay tuned. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network. Are you stuck in your business or career? Trying to take your business to the next level and it keeps hitting a wall? This is Sam Lebowitz, the Conscious Consultant. I will help you get to the root cause of your abundance issues and help move you forward in your life. Call me now and let's create the future you dream of. 212-721-8183. 
That's 212-721-8183. The Conscious Consultant, helping conscious people be better business people. Have you ever considered consulting a roadmap when you feel you need help getting to your destination? When the normal path seems blocked, a little help can come in handy when choosing an alternate route. Your natal chart is a map of your potentials. It addresses relationships, finance, business, health, and above all, creativity. Current planetary cycles can either support or challenge your objectives. I'm Montgomery Taylor. If you would like to explore the help of a private astrological reading, please contact me at Monty at MontyTaylor.com. That's Monty, M-O-N-T-Y, at MontyTaylor.com. Talking Alternative Radio, 24 hours a day. Welcome back to Healthy, Wealthy, and Smart. I'm your host, Karen Litzy, and I'm joined today by the president of the American Physical Therapy Association, Dr. Paul Rocker. So, Dr. Rocker, before we left, I sort of had another question for you from Jason Silvernail, APTA member and uh, soldier in the U.S. Army, now out in Afghanistan. Um, So his question was, he'd be interested in your opinion on the residency push at the APTA, meaning that most of us should do it in the future. And so if you can kind of explain first kind of what that residency or fellowship is and then why it's important. Sure. First of all, I'd like to thank Jason for his service and pray for his safety over Mm -hmm. in Afghanistan. And thank you for serving, Jason. That's uh, admirable of you to step forward and protect us all over here. Um, the residency and fellowship programs have developed over the past several years, and we're seeing more and more interest by many physical therapists, both young as well as old, that say, look, I have decided that there's a specific area where I want to go ahead and concentrate my efforts and mm-hmm. daily practice, whether that be orthopedics, sports, women's health, neurological outpatient care or inpatient care, whatever the case may be. So we have had residencies develop over the years where individuals can step into these structured residencies with mm-hmm. both a structured didactic program as well as, importantly, a structured clinical mentoring program where most require at least 150 hours of direct mentoring and discussion of patients and how they're being managed and how they are best integrating that evidence-based knowledge they have in the didactic so that when these individuals come forward and finish this residency program, then they go ahead and have the ability to become a specialist in that area based on that background of both the practical as well as the didactic information they've received in that residency. Mm-hmm. Just in some of the instances we talked about today, Karen, these individuals are actually stepping forward rather quickly to handle some of the issues that we've talked about before. Rather than self-study, they have said, I want to go a different route and actually need that mentoring. That's Mm -hmm. the type of learning style that I need. I need to have someone showing me hands-on how they're managing their patients and then evaluating how I'm managing my my patients Mm -hmm. and subsequently get the education. And we're seeing this ramping up. 
I can tell you from a practical standpoint in our practice, we have a number of residencies, and we see these men and women come through these programs, and when they step into that special area, they're ready to move forward. They're ready to sit for a specialist certification Mm. exam Mm -hmm. and overall do quite well. Mm -hmm. Now, the fellowship is also developed out of that, that once somebody has gone through a residency, such as orthopedics, someone can say, I really want to do the hands-on manual therapy. I realize that mobilization as well as various thrust techniques are what I really need to manage my patients, both extremity and spine patients, to the best that I can. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to go get a concentrated effort. Unlike the uh, residency, which is usually several months in, in length, the fellowship is more concentrated, specific in an area, and a much shorter um, duration. And these individuals can concentrate, for example, as I said, on something like manual therapy and come out with those skills and refine their right. essentially scope of practice even more distinctly than somebody in a residency. And again, we are finding the, the fellowships being out there training some excellent manual therapists mm-hmm. as well as in some other areas. And, you know, for all of, for both residency and fellowship, do these are these programs that can be done distance based or do you kind of have to be there? Can you kind of go a couple of weekends or is it something where you're in the clinic with this mentor every day? There are varying models out there and the American Board of Physical Therapist Fellowship and Residency Education have distinct criteria that the fellowship and the residency need to meet meet to be accredited by the APTA. Mm-hmm. So they really set the standards on whether someone can get didactic work, have mentoring, and do it at distance basis versus being in close proximity. So we do see both models. Mm-hmm. But again, they have to meet the criteria that established by that, that committee and, and put forth for the credentialing status to go ahead and have the standard that we're looking for. Right. So so sort of the APTA push behind this is just to uh, perhaps refine skills and, and become more specialized in, in a certain area. Correct. Okay. All right. Which makes sense. And then these residencies and fellowships can then perhaps help train or perhaps educate you and help you out if you're taking one of like an, uh, the OCS exam or the, which is the orthopedic clinical specialist, you know, one of the clinical specialist programs that are given by the APTA. Correct. Right. Which makes perfect sense. And how would someone, like, how does one get involved in this residency, in a residency or in a fellowship? What would be your best advice? Let's say I'm looking to do residency. What what would be your best advice to me on where to start my search? I would recommend you go to APTA.org mm-hmm. and look up uh, residency and fellowship uh, and go to that link and you'll see the list of credentialed fellowships as well as residencies there as well as contact information. That is a good start, and then you can go ahead and look at it from a geographic area, too, Mm -hmm. based on where you're living across the country to decide which one is best for you from a personal standpoint. Right, right. Okay. All right. So APT.org and go to... APTA.org, yes. And and if someone were kind of getting down towards the end of the show here, which is too bad because there's so many more questions to ask... But um, before, so we don't have to rush through this later, if someone wanted to find out more about you and what you do and if they had any questions, where, where would be the best place to find out more about you? Uh, you can email me at paulrocker at apta.org. Uh, you will go ahead and that will be a direct email, but there's also an email address, I believe, on the website, nationalgovernance at apta.org, and the staff helps me go ahead and go through those and respond to them appropriately. 
Great. And I guess one more question, because I've actually gotten this um, not so much from physical therapists, but from from patients and friends and things like that. And, and it's how do you become the president of the APTA? Like, what is what is the process by which you become president? Yeah, this is uh, it's been an interesting journey for me. Uh-huh. I became involved from a state chapter standpoint, from a leadership standpoint and came up through the ranks uh, of a treasurer and then president of the state association. And I was actually encouraged by my peers and mentored by some along the way that were past leaders or current leaders that encouraged me to move on and develop my skills from a leadership and a management standpoint. And ultimately, the uh, being a membership organization, our House of Delegates that meets uh, every June at its annual meeting mm-hmm. is responsible for electing uh, from the membership those that have been nominated to hold office, and they make the decision who they want to go ahead and lead the uh, association as well as be the spokesperson for the profession. So the House of Delegates uh, is the deciding decision-making body. Okay. All right. That's, you know, I, you know, I, I knew that, but I know a lot of people out mm-hmm. there don't really know how that works. Um, and I guess as being the leader and the spokesperson for the profession, I do have to say that um, I was very glad and I enjoyed the letter that you wrote to the producers of the Dr. Oz show. I thought it was very concise and I thought it was very well written and I thought that it really portrayed what we do as a profession. So... I know a lot of people were sort of happy with that response, so I just want to thank you for that response. You're welcome. We were uh, disappointed in the way we portrayed that day from an overall management of low back pain. I think I made that clear in the letter. Yeah. I can tell you from a personal standpoint, I I know I had an issue at hand when I came home, and my wife said, you should see what was on Dr. Oz today. <laughs> and you're like, oh, <laughs> so, no, what? <laughs> so, so I knew we had a task in front of us, but yeah. I, I'm, I'm happy that you're pleased with the response and I hope others were as well. Yeah, and I think, you know, and I think it's also important that there indeed was a response. Yes. You know, and I think yes. that was the most important thing, you know, that there was indeed a response to that because that is certainly not what we do. Right. And that's one of our roles, both as a board of directors as yeah. well as the association and staff, that we're, we're not portrayed in the light that we think we should be. We should let people know. And I think all of us can do that on a day-to-day basis. Mm-hmm. Yep. And that's, you know, one of the – I did a show on this a couple of weeks ago. And one of the things that, that I said was, you know, starting – to, in order to change the face of the profession and, and do some of the things that we were talking about today by having us as the point person or having us in a more uh, evaluative or screening role, you know, sort of a pre-pain role, it really has to start with each individual. And so that each person that you speak to, each patient, each client, that is your time for public relations for your profession, and so I think that as individuals across, not not only coming from you or not only coming from the APTA, but it should, or, or even APTA members, because not every PT is a member of the APTA. But I think that with every interaction that you have with your patient or your client or with the public, it's your chance to sort of educate people on what we do. Yes. I would go back to one of the earlier topics that we discussed at the beginning of the show, take direct access. Mm-hmm. With all those states that where we have the ability to do that, if you finish managing a patient and that patient's going to be discharged from that episode mm-hmm. of care, not necessarily discharged from you from managing them as an individual from mm-hmm. a physical therapy standpoint, you look up at them and say, do you know you can access and come back to me if you have a problem again? 
you can come directly to see me, mm-hmm. and I can go ahead and evaluate you and start some treatment here in this state because that is allowed here. That is a big step in the right direction. Yeah, and, and I think that's great advice for all PTs. And on that, unfortunately, we're going to have to end the interview as we are our time is up. But I want to thank you so much for taking your time out today and coming on the show. And Thanks for having me. Sure, sure. My pleasure. And um, next week, uh, hopefully everyone can tune in. I'm going to have three physical therapists on, one from South Africa and a couple other from here in the States. And um, we're going to be talking about more women's health issues, thanks to the Pelvic Mafia on Twitter. So, Dr. Rock, I don't know if you know about this group, but I guess they were at CSM and they had Pelvic Mafia T-shirts made and everything just to get the word out about how physical therapists can help those with pelvic pain. Mm Mm-hmm. So great group of ladies. I had some of them on last week and, and more on next week. So again, thank you, Dr. Octor, for coming on. And everyone else, thanks for tuning in and stay healthy, wealthy, and smart. Thanks. Thank you. Take okay. care. Take care. Bye. You are listening to the Talking Alternative Network. Hi, I'm Dana. And I'm Don. We We are are Certified Mediators. mediators. And I am a family and couples licensed therapist and author of Please Don't Buy Me Ice Cream. Our show, New Beginnings, is about helping you and your family recover financially and emotionally and start the beginning of your life. We'll answer your questions on divorce, family court, co-parenting, personal development, new relationships, blending families, and more. Dana and I will bring you to a place of empowerment and belief that even though marriages may end, families are forever. Join us every Monday starting September 10th at 10 a.m. on TalkingAlternative.com. Are you suffering from aches and pains? Has traditional medicine let you down? Are you tired of taking toxic medications? Then come to the Double Diamond Wellness Center and learn how our natural methods can help you to heal. Call us now at 212-721-8183. That's 212-721-8183. Or find us on the web at www.doublediamondwellness.com. We look forward to serving you. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network at www.talkingalternative.com. Now, broadcasting 24 hours a day. Talking Alternative. This is Tony Martinetti, the aptly named host of Tony Martinetti Nonprofit Radio. Big nonprofit ideas for the other 95%. Technology, fundraising, compliance, social media. Small and medium nonprofits have needs in all these areas. My guests are expert in all these areas and more. Tony Martinetti Nonprofit Radio. Fridays, 1 to 2 Eastern, on Talking Alternative Broadcasting. Are you fed up with talking points rhetoric? Everywhere you turn, it's left or right spin, ideology, no reality. In fact, it's ideology over intellect. No more. It's time for the truth. Join me, Larry Sharp, a.k.a. The Neo Sage, Tuesday nights, 9 to 11 Eastern, for the Ivory Tower Radio Program. In the Ivory Tower, we'll discuss what's important to you, society, politics, business, and family. It's provocative talk 
for the realist and the skeptic who want to know what's really going on, what does it mean, and what can be done about it. So gain special access to the Ivory Tower and listen to me, Larry Sharp, your Neos Age, Tuesday nights, 9 to 11, New York time. Go to ivorytowerradio.com for details. That's ivorytowerradio.com. The Ivory Tower is a great place to visit for both entertainment and education. Listen in, Tuesday nights, 9 to 11. It will make you smarter. TalkingAlternative.com 